Thank you so much, Emma. Thank you guys for, for praying. Um, just, you know, a little bit of history when it comes to the church. Some of you know this, and I've said it before. Some of you may not know. When we first uh, came to Prague to think about starting a new international church, we brought a team of people here to kind of help us scout it out. And so we, we didn't know what we were doing. And we heard, you know what? Um, you guys should go to Prague 6 because there's a lot of internationals that live in Prague 6. And we're like, okay, we don't know what that means, but let's go to Prague 6. And so, and, and let's go find some, some of these internationals. And so we started walking around Hradchanska and just kind of like looking and for people. What do internationals look like? I don't know. But like we just, we were like in the wrong part of Prague 6 if we were going to look for internationals. And we didn't know. We were just like listening for English. No one found a single international, but we found a lot of Czech people, of course. But what was cool was that as we were walking around, we were praying. And we were praying for the city, like we just did. And we were praying for transformation of the city, which is this value that we're talking about today. And some of us came in front of this uh, kind of dilapidated train station uh, in Prague 6, the Dievice train station, kind of a small commuter station. And it was really run down. And, and so we just stood outside and prayed for a while. Years later, we're living in Prague. We need a new space to meet for the church. And someone finds something online, and we go and we check it out. And it's the train station that we prayed in front of years and years before. And so some of you were here for the nine years. We met in the Dievitsa train station, the Nadraji. Uh, and I, it didn't even dawn on me the first time we walked up to it. And then I think it might have been my wife, Shanna. Someone said, this is where we prayed. And I was like, oh my gosh, God, what a sense of humor God has and, and how good he is to see how those things happen, how he does provide. And, and it was a gorgeous train station. It had been transformed, not because we had prayed about it necessarily, but it was just cool that it was like ready for us to worship, to move in and to worship in for nine great years. And um, I, I miss some things about it. Maybe you do, too. I will say one of the things I do miss is the, the 508 train that would pass by behind me as I was preaching because I knew it was time to wrap up the sermon uh, at that point. Um, so that was sort of built in accountability for, for all of us uh, at, back then. So if, if someone wants to, you can play a train sound uh, at about 508 and that'll, that'll be my signal. But why do I say that? Well. In, our, in the bulletin, we've talked about this now for quite a while, our mission as a church is to seek to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the international community of Prague by being transformed ourselves and then seeking transformation in each other, in our city, for our good and God's glory. So we've been taking several weeks now to look at this, and we come now to the next to last value listed there, transformation of the city. Because we think that it's, it's important. It's vital. We talked about small groups last week, and we talked about how you can't really find that in Scripture. You don't necessarily see anywhere in Scripture where it talks about small groups necessarily. But you do see transformation of the city. And what we just prayed is exactly what we mean. And so I'm really grateful to Emma. I think I'd like that list of things that we just prayed for and post that later. But what do we, what do we mean when we talk about transformation of the city? Well, it relates to some of this, some of our mission, because we, we want to be outward focused. We want to be looking outside of ourselves. We do not want to be a church that is this isolated island or fortress that is built up 
insurmountable walls that keep us safe and protected from the outside. And, and at times it might be tempting to do just that. And the history of the Christian church at times has, that's been the philosophy. And, and people hear, okay, we're not of this world. And so the goal must be remove yourself from the world around you. But that's not what we believe. That's not what the Bible says. We are instead to live in the world, but not of it. Maybe you've heard that phrase before. We're supposed to be contributing members of society, seeking after its good while recognizing this is not our permanent home. The Bible in lots of places calls us sojourners, travelers, traveling through. It also calls us exiles. And so we're called to live in a place, but we're not supposed to let that place, no matter how great it might be, even Prague, prevent us from fixing our eyes on our eternal home, our final destination. And so while we live here on earth, we are called to be transformed and we're called to seek transformation around us in, in each other and also in the place in which we live. And so that outward focus includes Prague today, no matter how long you have been here. And so before thinking about how to do that, let's just see why this is true in Scripture. Where does the Bible have to say about that? And I'm going to look at a fairly interesting place in Jeremiah. But I first want to give you a little bit of context because Jeremiah is a slightly overwhelming book of the Bible. It's the biggest book of the Bible. The prophet Jeremiah lived in Israel and Judah in a very tumultuous time in the history of God's people during the Babylonian takeover, this Babylonian captivity around 600 BC, when Nebuchadnezzar required the exile of God's people out of Jerusalem into Babylon and destroyed, ultimately destroyed the city of Jerusalem in the year 587. And so like the prophet Daniel, for example, is one of those people who was exiled during this Babylonian captivity. And this was one of the worst parts in the history of God's people. The book of Lamentations, I'm actually going to start with that because it's a long lament, Lamentations. It's a long lament, and many people think that Jeremiah also wrote Lamentations, talking about this horrendous period of time during the Babylonian captivity and the destruction of Jerusalem. And just listen to the very first verse of the book of Lamentations. This is what it says, how the book starts. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow has she become? She who was great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave. And it goes on from there. So there's this great city, God's city, God's chosen city for God's chosen people that was ultimately destroyed. It was also the place, of course, of the temple of God where God dwelled. And the identity of God's people was very much connected to the city of Jerusalem. And now God's people, almost all of them, have been exiled. Jeremiah was one of the ones who stayed back. What do you think Jeremiah would say to these exiles who've been sent to Babylon? What, what could he possibly write to them? He could have said things like, okay, prepare to rise up against this evil power in the city in which you now live. Prepare for a rescue, a military rescue, or God's rescue. But seek to disrupt the city that you now live in. Cause problems. Infiltrate it. Become spies so that God can, can restore the glory of his people in Jerusalem. Okay, any of those possibilities would have made sense for Jeremiah to have said any of those things. But let's look and see what did Jeremiah say to the exiles 
who were in Babylon. This is where Jeremiah 29 comes into play. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 14. Uh, just to let you know, there's a couple verses with a lot of names. And I will tell you when to really turn on your ears um, after we get through that part. So here we go. Jeremiah 29, 29, 1 through 14. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elassah, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, here we go. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise. And bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, so what did we hear? None of this infiltration, mess things up, disrupt the city, rise up, quite the opposite. What does he say? Pretty normal stuff, doesn't he? He he gives them, first he gives them a call, a call to live and inhabit and just simply dwell. Verses four through seven, what were some of the things you heard? Build homes, plant gardens, get married, have kids. These are all really normal things, normal things that they would have done if they hadn't been kicked out in the first place. And he says, as you bless the city, you will be blessed. And he says, pray for it. These these are counterintuitive commands for a people who are really just temporary, unwilling residents. You would think, he would say, like, don't settle there. Don't get comfortable. It's not where you're from. It's actually enemy territory. Instead, it's settle, rest, establish yourself there, really live there. Made me think of a a friend and a, a colleague from uh, several years ago who used to live here. She doesn't anymore. But after she had lived here for a while 
and had uh, lived in a couple of different places. And, and she had moved, basically packed up most of her stuff and came to Prague. And after a couple of years, we met and she said, I have to confess something. I said, okay. And she said, I still have a suitcase that I haven't unpacked. I was like, oh, I was relieved. I thought it was gonna be something else. But at the same time, I was like, okay, that's actually kind of serious. <laughs> because that's, that's an indicator of a little bit of where your, your heart is. And I, I get that. And, and maybe you can relate to that too. There's oftentimes a fear that we have of investing in a place that we feel might be temporary. Some of you maybe feel that today. And she said, it, it, it feels like if I unpack it, then I actually live in Prague and I'm actually settled. And that, that made her nervous. And so we talked through it. And we talked through why she felt that way. And, and eventually she unpacked it. <laughs> and I think just the idea of unpacking all of your suitcases and like hanging pictures on your wall, no matter how long you think you're going to live somewhere, it is a, a way to build into the city, to, to seek after the welfare of the place that God has called you. And the promise here, one of the promises, there's quite a few. One of these promises is in its welfare, you will have your welfare. And that word in English is, is uh, it's a good word, but it, it's not really complete because you, you may know the, the original word in Hebrew is shalom. And that word is so weighty and undefinable by any word, one word we have in English and probably most languages, because it, it does mean welfare, but it also means peace. It means peace. It means prosperity. And God is saying in that peace and prosperity of the place that you live, you will also get to experience that, that peace and prosperity. There's a number of other promises here in, in this passage uh, for these exiles. Uh, Jeremiah is telling them that God will bring them back, not soon, like some false prophets were saying, but 70 years from then. And, and that actually did happen. That was his prophecy. And he says, as you pursue the welfare of the city, I also want you to pursue God because he has great plans for you. And that was verses 11 through 14. In other words, God's people are not going to be abandoned by God, even in the worst of circumstances. And he promises them a future and a hope. And then I think one of the best promises in all of scripture, God promises to honor anyone's pursuit of him. Verse 13, look at that again. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And, and that's a verse that's confirmed in lots of other places in scripture. Jesus himself uh, even said, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And so just a really brief but important aside to say this, that God honors your pursuit of him. God honors your pursuit of him. We often say as Christians, God has a wonderful plan for your life. And that's nice and it's true, but it's kind of passive. And so I think what we should probably say more often is God's plan is worth pursuing because that's active. And yes, we you know, receive and rest in Jesus by faith. And so there is this idea that we are receiving passively our salvation. But then just because you live, uh, just because you receive faith, 
passively. It doesn't mean you live passively. And so if we receive and rest for faith, then I think it makes sense to risk in faith when we live. And so seek after God with everything you have. Don't hold anything back. God promises that you will find him. He says, I will be found by you, verse 14. So God gives his people a calling for the city, a call to pursue him. But then the story of the Bible goes on and gives us not just a calling for the city, but a a vision for the city. Uh, Really a theology of the city. And uh, that might sound overwhelming. But it just so happens that one of my famous uh, favorite preachers and pastors who I reference all the time, Tim Keller, just had a great podcast this week about the theology of the city. And he used the book Jonah to talk about this. And he loves Jonah and I love Jonah. We all love Jonah. But Tim Keller's sermon series on Jonah is different because he says the story of Jonah is actually the story of God's love for a city, Nineveh. He says that's the main theme, and I might say that's a little too strong, but I think that is, a, that is a theme, that is a really good theme of the book of Jonah, that God loves the city of Nineveh. Jonah hates it. Jonah is the guy who doesn't seek the welfare and the good of the city. He, he is excited that God has promised to destroy Nineveh, right? But God, in his mercy, withholds his displeasure and, and judgment on that city, and, and that's how the book ends. That's how the book ends. That Jonah gets sort of put in his place and God saves this great city full of pagans. <laughs> so, yes, there is a theology of the city that comes from Scripture. And it doesn't just stop with the Old Testament. The city of, of God, Jerusalem, was important. But it was not so important that when it was destroyed, God was homeless or that God himself was destroyed. The whole point to God calling himself, calling to himself a nation to live in a city and a temple for him to live in was to be a light for the nations. And so the idea of God dwelling with his people was ultimately fulfilled, we know, in the person of Jesus Christ. Because we say God lives with us, he doesn't live in houses built with hands. He lives now with us because God dwells with us. Because God came down to earth in order to make his dwelling here. We didn't have to build a tower of Babel like that first great attempt at a city, at a skyscraper, trying to reach God. God came to us. And so now we hear about the new Jerusalem, the holy city where God will always dwell with his people. We hear this in Hebrews, uh, as in Hebrews chapter 11, where we get our theme verse as a church about what faith is. We also hear of some of the heroes of the faith, uh, guys like Abraham, who left his own people to start a new nation. He lived not in a city, but he lived in tents. But it says that he kept his eyes on a heavenly city, Hebrews eleven six. As it is, they desire a better, a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And then later on, I don't have this on a slide, Hebrews 13, 14, the the author says, here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. And what I love at the very end of the Bible, the end of the story is actually the image of a city to capture the vision of heaven, the new heavens, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, a new holy city. 
Revelation 21, just the first four verses. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Isn't that amazing? The fulfillment of the new heavens and the new earth is pictured not as this pasture or a field with little sheep and goats running around, but a city. Probably a busy, active city, which is the place where God dwells, but it's not limited to a structure. He dwells now, or he will dwell one day with man, not behind a curtain in the temple, but in actuality, in a new kind of reality. So we are called to, we are being made for this heavenly city, the new earth. And so it makes sense to live now as temporary citizens of a place seeking the shalom of the city while we keep our eyes fixed on our eternal home. So how do we do that? How can we, how do you seek the transformation of Prague? Uh, Two things. Enter in with caution and offer redemption through the gospel. So first, enter in. Don't retreat. Don't become an island unto yourself in Prague. Don't think that, uh, I, I don't think that we as a church need to worry about this part too much. I think that we are pretty good at being in Prague I think maybe the second part is, is more important for us, to enter in with caution. Uh, what we probably need to do is to make sure we're seeking to transform Prague and not let Prague transform us. Because Prague is great, but there are obviously some dark parts of the city. And being in Prague means protecting yourself from being affected from those dark parts, not just the side streets on Wenceslas Square on Friday nights, although that too. But what do I mean? I think spiritual apathy. When anyone ever asks me kind of what's the hardest part about living in Prague, I usually say spiritual apathy. The fact that there is a sense that people, all kinds, internationals, Czechs, doesn't matter, just don't necessarily have religion, much less Christianity, on their radar. Someone once said, and I've used this and I love it, that that Czech Republic, Prague specifically, is a post-atheist country. Isn't that interesting? Because if you're an atheist, that means you've thought about something enough to decide, yeah, I don't believe in God. But Czech Republic, in many ways, is post-atheist. Like, it's just not even on people's radar. And, and I have a feeling, I bet you've encountered those kinds of people before, who've just never really considered the idea of religion. And it's not that they're antagonistic, or I don't feel persecuted necessarily as a religion, as a religious guy or a professional Christian. It's more like... Wow, I have no idea what to talk to you about. (laughs) So I'm a conversation killer quite often. (laughs) So spiritual apathy, that can affect you when you live here a long time. What else? Just the the budding consumerism that this country is catching up to in, in so many other parts of the world. We can get ourselves caught up in that too. Lots of other things. So enter in with caution. Use your friends for help and accountability when necessary, but then offer gospel redemption. 
What do I mean? Um, I love, and this happens all the time now, you see cranes, you see scaffolding on structures and buildings in the city, and you know, cool, something cool is about to happen. It's, it, it, they're building something neat and interesting. They're, they're renovating something. It's going to look better. And usually, usually, when the scaffolding comes down or the cranes go away, what, what is now there is truly incredible. They've, they've literally transformed the city and become, it's become more beautiful. We actually have the calling and the ability to spiritually help make that happen too, to seek transformation of a spiritual kind in the city. And so what do we do? I hope. But we, when we encounter the dark and broken parts of Prague, we want to see God offer change through the gospel. And that can happen on the individual level. That can happen on an institutional level. So you probably have people who are broken and need help or maybe going through dark periods in their lives. This can be Christians or not. What can you do to offer transformation, to offer them hope, to seek restoration in their lives? But there's also institutional brokenness in in parts of our city, and this overlaps a little bit with mercy that we're going to talk about next week. But there are parts of the city that are broken, and I love when we get to partner with other groups and organizations whose primary ministry and focus is to bring healing and restoration to some of these broken places. I was going to have someone come and share from Teen Challenge today, but he got sick. Teen Challenge, great example. A ministry that is seeking to help bring restoration to kids, to Roma kids, primarily in the Zhishkov area, by offering them kids clubs after school and Bible studies. They are a fantastic organization, and I love when we get to do stuff with them. A lot of you are connected now, and we've been, as a church, trying to connect more with Amity and Dignity to help with the refugee situation. So another example. And uh, just as a sort of preliminary announcement, I'm excited that we're going to have a Christmas concert together with the Ukrainian church and the Arabic-speaking church that meet here Saturdays and Sundays coming up in December. So we're going to have a multicultural Christmas with some of these groups. Um, So be on the lookout for that. But it's really an interesting part of this city and its story. Uh, You've heard of Jan Hus. You've seen his statue. But you probably have not heard of Jan Milic from Kromerzic. And I'm not going to say that right, but Jan Milic. Before Hus, in the 14th century, this guy Milic, later Jan Milic, uh, came to Prague as a preacher. He actually preached in the big teen church in Old Town Square. So if you've ever wondered, I wonder anybody ever preached the gospel there? Yes, Jan Milic did. But more than that, he realized that there was a red light district. Back then, the red light district of Prague was on Benatki, Venice Street. And he made it his mission to rescue women who were caught up in prostitution. And he actually converted, with the blessing of Charles IV, he converted over 20 brothels into chapels. And so he became known as the, the minister, the pastor to the prostitutes. If you've ever seen the Slav epic, those massive paintings from Muka, he has one dedicated to Jan Milic of Kronmerjij. And Jan Milic, I'm going to get better saying it, uh, was the, the, one of the inspirations for Jan Hus, who um, realized the city, Prague, needs to change. Uh, and lastly, Jan Milic, guess what he called his collection of chapels? He called it New Jerusalem. 
He realized, okay, this is the hope. This is what transforming the city should look like, is creating a, a safe place, seeing something that's broken, and seeking to bring about transformation. So this also overlaps with church planting. We'd love to see more churches planted, but you get the idea. And, and let me just encourage you, again, to look at the, the questions on the insert and the bulletin. And one of the ideas this week for you is to pray. God tells his people in exile, pray for the city. We did that today. Take time this week and just do a prayer walk. Something simple. Walk around your neighborhood or the place where you work. Maybe during your lunch hour or break. And just pray for that part of Prague. For God to redeem the broken parts. And for you to kind of open your eyes in a new way to see how that could happen. So how can you be part of this? Well, it starts with our hearts and it starts with our reminding ourselves that here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. All of this uh, should impact the world around us. And, and this happened even at the very, very beginning. And let me finish with this quote, because from the one of the earliest manuscripts that talks about the Christian church and the difference they made talks about this idea. And this is how Christians were described um, And it really talks about us as exiles and and sojourners. Someone said this about Christians. They find themselves in the flesh, but do not live according to the flesh. They reside in their respective countries, but only as aliens. They take part in everything as citizens and put up with everything as foreigners. Every foreign land is their home and every foreign home, sorry, and every home a foreign land. And I love that last bit. Every foreign land is their home, and every home a foreign land. Does that describe you? I hope so. You know, I've said it before, if you don't feel like you belong, good news, you don't. You don't belong here, you know. But God is gracious and can enable us to create a glimpse, an idea of what that eternal heavenly home can look like someday. So I pray that he does through us individually and through us as a church. So seek after the good of wherever you call home, keeping your eyes fixed on your eternal one. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much that you care enough about us as individuals, but you also care um, about the places where we live. And you've promised transformation, not just in our hearts, but in the world around us. And Lord, we long, we long for restoration for our bodies, our minds, our hearts, and we long for restoration in this city. Help us to continue to keep our eyes set on the things above. But as we live here on earth, Lord, we pray that you will help us to see, to see what's around us as we're always focusing on you. Lord, will you be glorified through our efforts Will you continue to transform our hearts as we seek to transform uh, people and places around us? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.